The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. We just love that you are choosing to engage in our church, in worship. We love you and we appreciate your commitment to the mission that we're trying to make disciples for the glory of God. And I think being a part of church, whether it's online or in person, I think that's a huge piece of completing our mission. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. If you happened to be with us last week, the story or narrative that we have for today, it comes right on the tail end of that. So I just want to recap very, very quickly what we discussed last week. And it's simply this. Jesus had preached all day long needed some time to recoup and refresh, asked his disciples to set out in the boat they were already in and go west to a much less populous region of Galilee, Capernaum, those areas. He wanted to go west across the Sea of Galilee while they were traveling through the middle of the night. A huge, a ferocious squall is actually what we read, came upon them. They were certain they were going to die. The disciples knew this lake, the Sea of Galilee. They knew what could happen once in a decade when a storm like this came, and they were out in the middle of it in the middle of the night. Jesus woke up from a nap, spoke to the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And all of a sudden, it's over. The storm that they were facing was over. Jesus, in his power, in his might, in his majesty, he calmed the storm. So, what we're going to read today happens immediately after that. The disciples are exhausted. Their emotions are pinging all all over the place. There's fear, there's relief, there's wonder at who is this man in the boat with us? And they know they've got to go another mile or so to get to the western shore of the lake. All they want to do is reach dry land, get out, dry off, recoup, refresh, have some breakfast, and figure out what it is that Jesus has for them to do next. That's all they want. That's all they want. And it's that point that we're at when we pick up here in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. So that's the context. They're wanting to relax. They're wanting to stop all the madness. But that's not what's going to happen when Jesus steps on shore. Here we go, 26 and 27. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee, When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met immediately. I I want you to picture this. I want you to picture this. They reached shore, the relief. Oh, yeah, Jesus calmed the storm, but we made it. We're here. We're we're not sure because it doesn't tell us, is this still nighttime? Is it early morning? We're not sure, but it's right after the calming of the storm. When Jesus steps foot on shore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he actually lived in the tombs that were right there by the shore. So we'll see in a minute that there are cliffs 
right here by this shore on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Those cliffs had been turned into tombs over the last hundreds of years. Families were burying their loved ones in those cliffs. And this demon-possessed man lived in them, saw a boat pulling up. I want to assume it's still nighttime out. Not sure, but it's very early in the morning if it's not. And this man sees a boat pull up. He's demon-possessed. He comes out and meets Jesus face to face. Mark tells the same story, and I want to read his account. And we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth between Luke and Mark just to get the full picture. Here's what Mark says, Mark chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. There was a man who lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. It appears that at some point, this demon-possessed man was able to be controlled, at least in some way. They could tie him up, Put him away, and and that was good. But that time has long gone. Not even a chain now will bind him. For they had often chained him hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one in the town was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, continuously. Among the tombs and in the hills... He would cry out in agony, and he would cut himself with stones. This, church, is classic demon possession. Now, the talk today has nothing really to do with demon possession, but I do want to say this. For those of you maybe listening here like, that's not real. This guy had a psychiatric disorder. No, demon possession is a very real thing. We don't see it in America, but travel outside this country and you will. Satan has power, and and Jesus has far more, as we'll see from this story. But don't just dismiss and discredit stories in the Gospels like these. This man, for however long, has been afflicted by the demons that have possessed him. The city has ostracized him. He kept coming back in, so then they bound him. When they couldn't physically do that any longer, they just started to hope he would stay away. And and that's what we see today. A person, a human being, someone created in the image of God that society has thrown out, that cries out day and night, weeps and mourns and physically hurts themselves. Now, I I don't want to draw parallels here that anyone you know that cries out or physically hurts themselves is demon-possessed. That's not the parallel I'm trying to draw. But we can all think of people who, because of their own actions, whether they're on their right mind or not, their own actions have caused them to be pushed out of community, out of family, out of society. And that's what we see here. We see this man in this state coming up to Jesus. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying to the disciples. There's a naked man running down the slope to the shore, maybe some chains still hanging off of him, screaming mad out of his mind and bloody. Picture that. You, you just, a minute ago, you were going to die in the storm. 
All you want to do is get to land. Oh, you're finally on land. This is incredible. And then now this is running at you. You talk about an all-time bad night. This is an all-time bad night for the disciples. But they're living it, and they're seeing it, and they're experiencing it. And what happens next shows the power, the power of Jesus to overcome someone or something that the whole community couldn't figure out how to fix. Luke chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. When he saw Jesus, that's the demon-possessed man, he cried out and he fell at Jesus' feet. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me? And then he drops a name, okay? What do you want with me? Jesus, they've never met. They've never met. Jesus isn't wearing a name tag. It's not on the front of the boat. The demons know Jesus. Why? Because demons are nothing but fallen angels who spent millennia in heaven with Jesus before Satan and his followers were cast out. They know who Jesus is. And look at this title. Look at this title. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. That's not public knowledge. That's not known at this point. But the demons know because they know exactly who Jesus is. They know exactly who he is. So they are speaking on behalf of this crazy man, and they're screaming out, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, this is the demon once again, I beg you, don't torture me. Jesus has never tortured anyone. What are they talking about? Well, they they know the outcome. They, they know the end. They know their eternal destiny because of the choice they made. And so they're saying, if this is our time, please, 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 we're sorry. Don't torture us. That's their appeal, verse 29. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Jesus sees this naked man running to him and he speaks and his word is powerful. And he says, out, you're done. And so all the interchange that happens that we read before is in response to Jesus saying out. They're going, no, 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 no. Jesus, son of the most high God, don't torture us. Don't torture us. Please, 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 please. We are in the power. We're in the presence of real power here. We are at our last resort. Please, 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 please. Jesus had commanded the spirit to come out of the man. Many times the demons had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Can you picture this? There's a man lying in front of Jesus who's not really in control of his physical body but Jesus engages the person. How sweet, how kind, how true when we say at Summit that God is for you. God's for the person that all of society has removed and is afraid of. God's still for that person. What's your name? I, I want to talk to you. It's the demon who responds. Legion, that's legions my name. 
he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And then continuing the demons, they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss, their final resting place. There's a, there's a couple things that have happened here. One, in the first century, it was known by all that the way you handled demonic spirits is that you had to call upon a more powerful name than they could call upon. That sounds so funny to us, but it really makes sense. So, you know, you think of the most powerful name of someone you know today, uh, you, you, and if you really could call on them, lit- I mean, literally call on them, then you would throw out their name, and, and then they would throw out someone else's name. And so what's happened here is that the demon tried to jump the gun in this name-calling battle. The demon says, you're Jesus, son of the most high God, his most exalted title. So the demon tries to jump it going, you can't use, your, you can't use that name on us because we already claim that name. But the problem is Jesus is that name. So there's no name-calling battle. The demon is in the presence of Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. So so that's why this back and forth had occurred. And then when the demon realized how silly the name-calling battle really was because of who they were dealing with, then they went to an appeal for pity. Hey, hey, don't, don't, don't cast this out to the abyss yet. Maybe, Maybe we can work a deal. We know we've lost, we know you're Lord, but maybe we can work a deal. Luke chapter 8, verses 32 and 33. There was a large herd of pigs. Mark tells us there was 2,000 pigs. Um, My grandparents, my paternal grandparents, they lived in Rhineland, Missouri, the smallest town you'll ever see in your life, but they lived right next door to a pig farm. And the pig farm maybe had 100, 200 pigs on it, and if the wind blew from the pig farm up, it was the worst smelling thing ever. 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs, that's, that's a bunch of swine. And the demon looks up and says, there, there, there it is. There, there's 2,000 pigs up there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, to leave the host, the man, Okay, we still don't know his name. He said his name was Legion, meaning 6,000. But that's, that was the demon speaking. So we still don't know who the man is. But the demons beg, let us leave this host, this body, and let us go into the 2,000 pigs. And Jesus gave them permission. Verse 33, when the demons, whether there were 6,000 or however many there were, came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd then immediately, okay, an entire herd of pigs, I don't know if that's literally what you're supposed to call a group of pigs, but the herd of pigs, they rushed down the steep bank and into the lake or the Sea of Galilee, and they all drowned. And this is the worst preacher joke ever, but this is the first example in the Bible of suicide, where 2,000 pigs run off a cliff and die, and the host was either destroyed by the demons themselves, because that's what demons do, they destroy their host, or it was Jesus showing his infinite power. Either way, either way, we now have a man freed from these thousands of demons. And it shows us a couple things. Jesus cares more about one person's soul than 2,000 pigs. 
And you're going, well, of course God does. That makes perfect sense. But we'll see here in a few moments that the townspeople have a different view. The outcast and ostracized man that no one loves and everyone fears was not more valuable than the 2,000 pigs that would have fed and provided money for the community. They are beyond furious when they hear the news. But God understands. God knows you. He cares about you. And even if everyone else has written you off and everyone else thinks the cost would be too much to restore you, God says, I love you. I care for you. And I will be there to restore you and renew you. That's what God says. That's what Jesus does. He is willing and able to take the most broken person and restore them. Let's continue on in Luke chapter 8, verses 34 through 37. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. They yelled to anyone who would possibly hear them because they just lost 2,000 pigs. They need everyone to know this is an incident report. I have one to file. We did nothing wrong. Dude showed up on a boat. Weird things happened with the naked guy. And then all the pigs just ran off the cliff. Promise we did everything we could to stop it. But this is big and we don't know what to do. Verse 35. The people went out to see what had happened because that story doesn't make any sense. So they woke up skipped breakfast, ran out to see 2,000 floating pig carcasses in the Sea of Galilee and go, wow, what in the world is happening? When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet. I love it. It's a posture of submission. It's a place from which you can learn. They found the man sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, Good call on the disciples' part. Someone threw an extra garment around the naked man. He was dressed and he was in his right mind. And the townspeople, they were afraid. When we see God move in mighty ways, oftentimes it causes us fear because we can't explain how or why. And I know that you're sitting here coming to online church going, that sounds awesome. I I celebrate that. There are moments in our lives where God does something in such a magnificent and miraculous way that, that we wonder how. And, and it makes us question. And they were afraid, verse 36. Those who had seen it, the pig farmers, they told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Jesus did it. So you would think they're telling a story in a very positive light, but they're just literally pointing every finger they have. He did it. He, this, this man right here, this, this guy, he's the problem. Verse 37. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. It's sometimes simply easier for us to tell Jesus to go than to figure out the complexity of what we have just seen. And for those townspeople, they were terrified of what they had just witnessed. 2,000 pigs in the sea, Jesus curing the man that they couldn't bind. They didn't know how to explain it, 
But I want you, church, to understand that while oftentimes Jesus does miraculous things that we can't explain, our response should never be fear. It should never be to push him away. And in fact, there was a man still sitting there on the shore that day that begged, begged Jesus to go with him. We find that in Luke chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away. What? Why? Why would Jesus send him away? He sent him away saying this, and this is so important, church, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Go back to your family, the family that had written him off. Go back to your friends, the friends that he no longer had because he was the crazy demon-possessed man out in the tombs. Go back to your family. Go back to your friends and tell them one thing, how much God has done for you, how God has worked in your life. So the man went away and he told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. He did it. He wanted more than anything to be in that boat. He didn't want to go back. The scars the stories, the stares from the people in the community. He did not want to have to face that. Jesus, just let me in the boat with you. Let's go somewhere new. I'm a new person. I need to start over. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Your story is too powerful. Your testimony is too great. Your friends and your family, yes, they may wonder what's going on when you walk through the door, but then you can simply say, I once was this. But now I'm this, and it's all because of God. We actually know how this story ends. Jesus left. He got in the boat, and he was gone. The Gadarene demoniac went back home. About six months later, Jesus would return to the area. Now, remember, he's been in this area for about an hour. He never preached. He never did any other miracles, just this one man. But when he shows back up about six months later, this is what happens, Mark chapter 5, verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. He simply told the story of what Jesus had done, and when Jesus shows back up six months later, there's tens of thousands of people waiting there for him. And that's actually when Jesus feeds the 4,000. Now, the more popular feeding is the feeding of the 5,000. That's already occurred. But there will be a second feeding of mass people in the Decapolis, the area that this demoniac went back to. And it's because of his testimony. It's because of the power of his story. Yes, he'll always be an ex-demoniac. Yes, he'll have the scars. And yes, the herd of pigs will always be over his head. And there's some people that are mad about that. But, but sometimes... God's best use for us is not for us to run from our old when he restores and renews, but to go right back into it and to begin to tell a simple story of how God changed it all for me. Yes, I have the scars, but those are just part of the testimony. Yes, I, I have the stigma, but that's just part of the testimony. God took me from this and he made me this. Mark chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. There were about 4,000 people present the next time Jesus came to shore. 
And after he'd sent them away, he got back in the boat, his disciples, and he went to the region of the Decapolis. And that's all because of what one man's story can do. What can your story do? What has God done for you in your life? How does his working in and through you play into your testimony with those who knew you before and those who know you now? What does that look like? Has God ever done something for you? That's your story. That's the way you glorify God. That's what God is looking at you and saying, I've given you the tool you need to be a transforming agent for me. Because you once were like this, and now you're like this, and no one, no one can argue with your story. I believe that what God did for this man on that day, he can do for you. For those of you who feel ostracized, isolated, alone, absolutely disconnected from this world, hurting and broken, God can step into that pain and he can heal and restore you just like he did with this man. And if that's what you need today, I pray that you would, in faith, ask God. You would fall at his feet, just as this man did, and say, I have no hope right now, but you come and move. And I believe that he will. I believe that he will in miraculous ways. He will save you, restore you, and renew you if you simply trust in him. And then for those of you who have experienced that mercy and that grace, that renewal, that regeneration, that new life, I pray that you will choose today not to take the safe route. Let me hop in the boat and just go back with you. Not the safe route, but you will choose to tell that story. You will choose to tell that story to anyone who will listen because there are many, 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 many people out there just like you who were once like this. And the only thing that changed was that Jesus came into your life. Help them see who he is, what he's done for you, and what he can do for them. Help them see, help this world see that Jesus not only loves them, that he's for them, and that he wants to do for them what he's done for you. I believe, I believe that the power of one story can transform thousands of lives. We see that here. What can the power of your story do? Make sure you share it. Make sure those in your world know it. That you were once like this, but now you're like this, simply because of him. Father, help us today to be messengers of your power and your love and your grace to a world that desperately needs love, grace, and hope. Help those who are distant from you today to know you and call on you by name. May we see your kingdom come and your will be done. May we see your power revealed all throughout this world. And may it come through your Holy Spirit, through the story of what you've done in our life. We ask this in the name of Jesus.